Well, good morning, good morning. I hope that you are doing well. Um, whether you are in the room uh, or you are watching online today, we're grateful that you're with us. Uh, if you are our guest, either, like I said, in the room or online, we would invite you right now to take out your tablet or to take out uh, your smartphone and type in lpguest.com into your web browser for a couple of reasons. One is as I teach uh, this morning, um, there are interactive message notes that are available to you there. Not only are my notes there, but you can type your notes into my notes and email those to yourself just as a record or a reminder maybe of something that God says to you uh, this morning as we go through uh, the service. The second reason um, is there's also a digital guest card that's available there. So as our guest, if you'll take 30 seconds, 45 seconds, you can do it right now if you want. Um, fill out that digital guest card. There are six different ministries listed at the bottom. You choose the one that's closest uh, to you. Check that one. We'll make an additional $5 donation uh, in your honor to that ministry just to give you the chance to do something good today uh, because you've invested this time uh, with us spiritually. Uh, I didn't say so at the beginning, but my name's Dean. If we haven't uh, met yet, um, I'm the lead pastor here, and you have joined us on the second Sunday of our uh, series for Christmas this season. Uh, it's called Love's Pure Light, and we're kind of taking more of an Adventish kind of look um, at the Christmas season this year as we kind of walk through Colossians chapter 1. If you got a copy of the scriptures, you want to go ahead and turn over there, you can do that. But as we do that, I just remind you that the word Advent is a Latin word, Adventus, that just means light or coming or arrival, um, which our forefathers tied to the idea of light. Um, this idea that when Jesus came into the world, it was light pushing back the darkness. And in doing so, that's why you see Advent a lot of times associated uh, with candles, right? And so we're talking about those four candles that are typically celebrated during this season, uh, hope, joy, peace, and faith. So last week, just as kind of a recap, we talked about hope. And hope um, is a person, it's a power that is rooted in the idea of waiting, right? Of being, of being patient. So the idea is that we have this hope uh, that came from outside this world. You know, the Messiah born into this world gave us hope that goes uh, beyond uh, this world. So today we're going to talk about the idea of joy. And simply put, um, our big idea for today is that Jesus is the one um, who brought us joy. Uh, one of our teaching pastors said this week that uh, joy is pressure-tested happiness. That too often we celebrate or we settle for this big celebration about happiness. But happiness is kind of like a pit stop on the way to joy, something that's not tied to the circumstances of our lives. The problem is a lot of us settle, right, for the pit stop. We never make it out of pit row. We just live for something uh, along the way uh, that consistently makes us happy. Now, Paul, when he's writing to these Colossians, um, they had a major problem in their culture. It was a philosophy that was just very pervasive and it was called Gnosticism, right? Uh, it's a big word. Let's all just say that big word together on three. One, two, three. Gnosticism. Just drop that in a conversation this week, right? The, the root of Gnosticism, right, is the, the Greek word is gnosis, right? And was their word for knowledge. So when we translated this word um, into culture, right, they had the silent G um, on the front of it. So we just crossed out the silent G. We added, right, a silent K. This is the conjugation of the word on the end, and we just added a W there, right? So this word gnosis, that's where we get our word to know, right? And so they thought that special knowledge 
was currency. They thought there were people in their culture that had this elite level knowledge of secret things. And so what was in the mind was good. What was in the body was bad. So you could do whatever you wanted with your body and the physical realities because what was really important was the mind, to know things. Anybody um, here, um, anybody know a know-it-all? Don't point, right? Don't, no need to do that, right? Anyway, you, know, you know somebody, right, that whenever you talk to them, like, it doesn't matter what you know, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've experienced, like, they've always got some, like, the, like Colossae was a know-it-all kind of culture spiritually. And so we left off in verse 8 last week of chapter 1. We're going to jump back into verse 9. But I want you to notice what Paul prays for this Colossian church. And really, one of the things we're going to look at today is how he models prayer. Uh, gives us encouragement in the modeling. But I want you to see what he prays at the end of verse 9. Then we'll come back to the beginning of verse 9 in just a minute. He says this, I'm asking that you would be filled with the... The gnosis, right? With the knowledge, not of our own ability, right? But of his will in all spiritual wisdom um, and understanding. So Paul says, listen, what you need as Colossians, remember, he's never met them, right? We talked about that last week. I've heard of your faith. He had never met them. So he didn't know the specifics of their issues or their circumstances, but he knew what they needed. And what they needed was for God's knowledge to fit, not some special um, knowledge, some elite level knowledge that's out there. And, and I think this is very, very apropos, right, for our culture. We, um, we tend to put a currency on, and listen, I'm all for education, and at the same time, we have to understand that education has limits. Um, we kind of watched it play out this week. The presidents of three elite-level East Coast institutions are questioned before um, Congress, and they're asked about genocide and Gaza and what's going on in the Middle East, and they gave these kind of odd answers, um, and, and they were generally condemned by whether you're politically right, politically left, whatever, their, their answers are generally condemned, because sometimes we can educate ourselves into um, ignorance, right? And we think that we have this special knowledge, but it's not just people who are at, you know, institutions over on, the, it's all of us. We all think that we can outsmart our troubles to some degree. All these conspiracy theories out there, you talk to people and they think they know what the Illuminati's doing behind the scenes, like they've got it all figured out where not everybody else has it figured out. Like that's what the Colossians, that's what they were, that's what they were like. And you only, I mean, you don't have to look much further than social media, right? To see that everybody thinks they've got the answer. So Paul says, listen, here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for a knowledge to fill you that's divine, that's heavenly, that comes, and here's how you know the difference. Because when you're filled with the knowledge of God's wisdom and his understanding, it humbles you instead of puffs you up. It doesn't make you prideful. It doesn't make you, it doesn't make you higher. It actually does just the opposite. And it actually makes you lower and has this sense that it's tied to the most joyful kind of life, the, mo the most joyful life possible. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at how Paul calls them to this life of joyful prayer. And as soon as I say prayer, right, you may be here today, you may not be a Christian. And prayer is an okay topic, generally for Christians or non-Christians, right? Whenever somebody's going through something difficult, a crisis or something, what do we always, 
thoughts and prayers, right? We always, I mean, it's, it's, if, if there is a God out there somewhere, right, in moments of crisis, moments of death, we, we should pray. We should, it's an okay topic. But the pattern of that is what? Is I pray, God gives, I pray, God gives, I pray, God, rinse and repeat, right? The problem with that is when God stops giving, I stop talking, right? I stop, I stop praying. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian and I mentioned that we're gonna talk about prayer, you're like, oh, here comes the guilt, man. Here comes, and it's this, we've kind of got this prayer regret because none of us, I, I dare say none of us, feels like we pray enough, right? And it's like, oh, here, but that's okay because New Year's is coming, New Year's resolutions, right? And we all say, I'm, I'm gonna pray for a half hour a day, right? And then January 15th gets here and you're like, well, you know what, God, maybe I was a little pumped up there. And then February 15th gets here, and you're like, I got him back. I'm sorry, right? And we just kind of roll with this. We just feel this regret. So I hope today that what we can do is I can give you an exit, give me an exit off the guilt bus, right, to maybe a more consistent view, perspective of what it's like to live a life of joyful prayer. So we're gonna talk about three things. We're gonna talk about why we pray, when we pray, and how we pray. And the bonus question is, what does the advent of Jesus, Jesus' light coming into darkness, what does the advent of Jesus, what does Christmas teach us about the most joyful life possible? And I would just say that I think for us, when we think about the why, I think we are more interested, a lot of times way more interested in what prayer does than we are in what prayer is. Sometimes um, we only pray in a crisis, and there's nothing wrong with praying in a crisis, but when we limit our prayer lives to just crisis prayers, crisis prayer is easily generated, right, because there's something we wanna change, something we want fixed. Crisis prayer is easily generated, but rarely is it sustained. I, um, You've heard the phrase, maybe, prayer changes things. You ever hear that? Prayer changes things. And I understand what people are saying when they say that, but the reality is prayer's not sovereign, right? God's sovereign. Prayer doesn't change things. Really, God is the one who, who changes things. And as I pray, I get my life. I'm filled with the knowledge of his will and understanding to the degree that I get on the same page as him. So prayer doesn't change things in my perspective as much as prayer changes me and allows me to live the most joyful kind of life possible. That's why, um, that's why we pray. But then Paul jumps in and he talks to us about, um, he talks to us about the when. So we'll go back to the beginning of verse nine. It says this, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Um, when do we pray? Um, we pray consistently. That's what Paul encourages us to do here. He says, we have not ceased, we've not stopped. Paul says, we've got this consi consistent pattern and rhythm of our hearts, right, is, is to pray. Um, Luke chapter two, it says that Jesus often withdrew to a quiet, lonely place, place to pray. That's the habit of Jesus's heart, life, the rhythm was to consistently, um, for him was to consistently to pray. 
So when you meet somebody who says they pray for an hour and a half every day, um, I there are two reasons for that in my, uh, just from ministry experience. Number one, those folks, and it's wonderful to do, by the way, it's great, um, but those folks tend to be disciplined about everything in their lives, right? Like they're the folks who show up 15 minutes early for every meeting or every, every appointment, right? Shirts are always creased just right, always. Like those tend to be the folks who, man, they're disciplined about, about everything. Nothing, and again, nothing wrong with it. But the second reason I've found that people pray, they develop a hard habit of prayer, is that people who suffered through something not only that's difficult, but that is lengthy. They sat by the bed of somebody that they loved and they couldn't change it. All they could do was lean into it. All they could do was lean into prayer over and over and over, so much so that they developed a habit of soul. Maybe they went through um, a debilitating uh, illness themselves of some sort. And all they could do, all they could do was pray. But for the rest of us, I'll say that we tend to have this attitude that uh, prayer is like, we, we have this eat your vegetables attitude towards, towards prayer. And so one of the things that I think is important um, for us to learn is that, man, we've, we've got to make an intellectual kind of adjustment, right? We tend to look at prayer like, um, like eating broccoli, right? And um, maybe, maybe you eat broccoli. I mean, I'm, I'm good with broccoli. Casserole, right? Broccoli casserole, the cheese, and you put the breading on it. But, but that's different, right, than eating steak. When you eat, I'm sorry, I'm talking with mouth. When you eat steak, don't you savor steak? I sit here and watch you drink great coffee every Sunday. <laughs> now, you know what doesn't happen, right? Nobody. Oh, that is so good. Nobody savors broccoli, right? We have, we have this eat your vegetables. The steak is the main course, right, of a meal. We love the steak, not so much the broccoli. And so we have this eat your vegetables attitude. We have this broccoli attitude towards, oh, okay, it's prayer. I got to, got to. We now to make an intellectual adjustment. And the intellectual adjustment is this. We have to learn that prayer is actually the main course of our lives. Our relationship with Jesus is the reason that we are here. It's the reason that we're created. Our job, our family, our success, our possession, all those other things, those are the vegetables. Right? Those are the extra thing. Prayer is the main course. It's the most joyful life possible. Um, maybe think about it this way. What if, um, what if I came home and I said, to, um, I said to Angie, okay, honey, look, um, I'm gonna talk to you for 10 minutes a day. And in those 10 minutes, I'm gonna tell you what I need, what I need you to do, and what I need you to execute, right? Can you, I mean, you don't talk to your spouse, right? Because you have to. You talk to your spouse because you perfectly want to, right? 
And so the idea that we're going to come to God, right, in this packed five minutes a day, and we're going to tell God, God, here's everything I want. Here's everything I need you. That, that, that's not a relationship, right? It's not a duty to talk to your spouse. It's a delight, right? That's the delight of our souls. It's the main course of our lives. It's a heart habit that we have that we have to develop. We have to do that consistently, but not just consistently. Look at verse 10. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance with patience, um, with patience and joy. He says there, look, so that you would live in this mountain, the, the, the tense there is that you would keep on walking, that you would keep on pleasing, that the norm of your life is that you're going to pray constantly. And you're like, well, you just said pray consistently. Isn't that the same thing? No, it's not the same thing. When I say pray constantly, what I mean is that any moment, any place, any geography, any space is an opportunity to pray. You don't just go into a closet, right, in the morning. You don't just go into your favorite chair in the morning. You don't, like, that's not the only place that your whole day becomes a tapestry through which God can paint and work and use your life. And so you're in constant connection and communion right with him. Luke chapter five, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Not teach us how to pray, but teach us to pray. Teach us to pray the way that you, like the habit of your heart, that like you're in constant communication with God, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, it seems like, Jesus, that you're just willing to pray at any moment, any time. Like, that's just the environment of your soul. It's the, the, the ecosystem of your life is this constant sense of, of communication with God. And that's, that's, in a sense, it's what we're called to. If you were here, um, I don't know, six or seven weeks ago, uh, we practiced praying God's word together. You remember that? We practiced it out loud here on a Sunday morning. We kind of had a, a few moments of congregational prayer, praying God's word back to God. And the next day, on Monday, um, a young lady who was here um, on that Sunday, work was chaos, right? Chaos going on all around her. And in the middle of the chaos, she's, this is crazy, right? And but she stops and she prays God's word back to God. And she texted her mom later on uh, that evening and her mom uh, shared this with Angie. Um, but she said, you know what, mom? In the middle of nothing around me changed, but I feel like I changed. The chaos didn't change, but I changed in the middle of the chaos. It's possible for gospel hope that we talked about last week, this gospel power that we talk about and celebrate at Christmas to work in and through uh, your life to the degree that you begin to change, that you begin to see the world uh, differently. And there's nothing that's gonna happen to us last week or this week. There's nothing that's gonna happen that's a surprise to God, right? There's, there's, not, there's no emergencies that are gonna come up from from his perspective. I think sometimes we think that. 
You know, 1969, when we um, sent someone to the moon, you know, it's not like Neil Armstrong got out of the lunar module for the first time and God's up there heaven. Gabriel, look at what they did. Look at those guys. Like, that was not super, like, that lunar module came down exactly at the moment that God, I mean, it was like three, two, one, right on the schedule where God was concerned. Like we thought we had a countdown, actually God had a countdown that was going on and it was right on time. So we have to make not only an intellectual adjustment, but we have to make a developmental adjustment. And I would encourage you, um, if you are having um, a struggle in the constancy, the consistency of prayer, attach prayer to two current disciplines in your life. What are two things that you do on a regular basis that you could attach prayer to, that you could begin to embed this idea that prayer becomes the default of your soul in the midst of, of your day. Um, when, uh, when I was a kid, uh, I heard a message one time uh, by a guy named Charles Stanley, uh, who was an evangelical um, teacher, preacher, and he said that he never put his feet on the floor in the morning before he prayed. Because that's one thing he did every, every day that he lived, he had to wake up, right? So he said before he would lay in bed and he would go in his mind, heart, spirit, he would go to Ephesians chapter six and he would pray through the spiritual armor before his feet. He wouldn't let his feet touch the floor. So there have been seasons in my life where I've practiced that. Maybe for you that means, uh, maybe it means turning off um, sports radio, or it means turning off uh, political talk radio um, on the way to work, and you take the commute, you take that time to pray. If you've got little kids, like, man, the kids are everywhere all the time, right, with you, and it's hard to find time, to find moments. And when my kids were little, uh, I would pray in the shower, right? Anytime you can find something you consistently do where there's a little mental space, right, attach prayer to the current disciplines um, of your life. So we're going to pray consistently, and then we're going to pray um, constantly. So that's why we pray, and that's when we pray. But the last one is how we pray. Look at verse 12. Paul says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So Paul says, listen, you and I, we should give thanks um, as we pray in everything. How do we do that? Because the foundation um, of our lives is the security of our souls. That even though we're born into this world, separated from God, but even though we're born into the domain of darkness, right? God has transferred. Remember, everybody this week's talking about the transfer portal, right? The transfer portal. Like everyone who's a believer went into the transfer portal, right? And you've been transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son. And out of that, he says, in whom we have redemption, and that redemption um, is the forgiveness uh, of sins. So third thing, we pray thankfully. Because of what Jesus has done, not just in coming the first Christmas, but what he endured uh, in his death on the cross, and then what we celebrate at Easter, his subsequent resurrection, there is a ground level um, foundation of gratitude in our lives. So we pray 
He says we pray thankfully. Now you go some places, maybe a, a certain ministry or a certain church will teach that when you pray, what you do is you take a verse of scripture, a verse like um, ask and you shall receive. Like you take a verse like that and you grab God by the collar, right? And you tell God what he's got to do for you. But what I see Paul saying here is different. That prayer is not about coercion. Prayer is about communion. Which means that when there is a discrepancy between how we feel about our lives and the spiritual realities that are true, we must lean into that. And we'll say that to you again. When there's a discrepancy between um, the circumstances, if you will, of our lives and the spiritual realities that we know to be true, that we've got to lean into that as we pray. And when you, when you read through the Psalms, you see this over and over and over again. There are times when you read the Psalms, uh, or at least when I read the Psalms, and I'm like, you can say that? Like, I didn't know you could, you could say, I mean, like, I've had to um, awaken, right, to this reality over the years. I'm gonna read to you a verse from Psalm 77, which is a psalm of Asaph, and here's what he says in verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? I'm going to read you just a, just a few of these phrases um, in, a different, uh, in a different version. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten how to be merciful? And I would just say that for some of us, this may be how you feel, especially as we enter Christmas season. You know, for a lot of us, man, Christmas is joy, 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 right? And it's all joy to the world. But for a lot of people in this season, it's, it's very, very difficult. And you have a very different kind of emotion or emotions. And I cannot encourage us enough to lean into the truth of those. ASAP says, does God even love anymore? Is God even around? Because it sure doesn't feel like he's around. It sure doesn't feel like, God, your promises are true. So respectfully, but with integrity, you and I need to lean in to those realities when we pray. If we don't, it just becomes kind of phony fluff, right? You've heard people pray before, Lord, bless the gift and the giver and the hands that prepared it, right? I mean, these little phrases, right, that we, which is okay, right, to use those, but there, there needs to be a reality of God, this is how I feel. In Psalm 77, for the first 12 verses, there are 22 personal pronouns, 22. I, me, my, mine. The first 12 verses are unbelievable unbelievably self-focused. But what happens in the process is that Asaph's focus begins to shift. 
and change. And his circumstances don't change, but he does. If you're um, a parent, a teacher, uh, a coach, you work with young people at all, whenever you ask a young person, maybe you know your child is struggling, and you say, hey, how are you doing? Do you, do you want them to be honest? You don't, you don't want them to give you some kind of fake, phony, plastic, right? And, and yet we come before God at times, and that's exactly what we do. So this morning... As we get ready to close our service, we're landing our service this morning on the, um, on the biblical ordinance of communion. It's a celebration of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now, the reason Jesus gave us this ordinance was for believers to turn our hearts God's direction in repentance. That's why it doesn't make sense for a non-believer, right, to receive communion because there's no reason for a non-believer to celebrate a crucifixion, right? That's kind of a, that's kind of a morbid event. But for um, those of us who are Christians, the crucifixion becomes our substitution, right? It's where this, this burden, the curse that we talked about of sin is lifted off of us and Jesus substitutes himself. He puts himself in our place on the cross so that we don't have to pay for our own sins. And that in doing so, if there's any area of our lives that has become out of alignment with God, that has become self-focused, right, we, we bring that back into alignment with God. And so what I'm gonna do is, um, as best I can, I'm gonna guide us a little bit this morning as we pray. As we get ready for that, I wanna read to you what happens to Asaph in Psalm 77. I, I did not put the verses um, up on the screens on purpose. Uh, I just want you to listen to what Asaph says. Asaph describes his own heart and perspective and how he goes from, God, have you forgotten? God, do you even care? God, do you even love anymore? Are your promises even true? To this perspective, verse 16. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. And I want you to listen to this phrase. Verse 19. Your way was through the sea. Isn't that beautiful? So many times in our lives, we want God's way to be around, right? God, I want, I, I want, I want your way to go around this problem in my marriage. I want your way to go around this financial crisis. I want your, your way to go around this problem in my extended family, um, with my parents or my in-laws. God, I want your way to go around this problem that I've got at work. I want your way to go around this difficult person. I want your way to go around this thing that's happened to me. I want your way to go around this, this illness or this physical thing in my life. God, I want your way to go around and I love it that Asaph got to the place where he says, and God, your way was through. Your path 
was through the great waters. And listen to how he lands this verse. And yet, your footprints were unseen. The most joyful life possible is a life where you and I walk through with God in faith, even when we can't see it, even when we can't see the footprints, we believe and we know that because God has been with us in the past, that he's with us in the present, and that even though the chaos may not change, we can change. How can we do that? We do it through the power of the cross the cross that changes us, that shapes us, that teaches us that no matter who we are, where we've been or what we've done, that God loves us and that he calls us and that he wants us and that our future with him and in him is secure. So we're gonna prepare our hearts for communion by praying. I'm gonna help guide you a little bit um, in that as we prepare to receive what God has for us. Okay, let's pray. God, we trust and know that your word says that your way is through. God, this morning, um, I don't know all the perspectives in the room. I, I, I like Paul. I don't know everybody's problem, but I do know what we need. We need is you. And so, God, we bring our heart, just like you prayed from the cross, into your hands, I commit my spirit. God, we commit our spirit to you this morning. So just now as you're praying, I want you to pray, God, in my life, here's how I feel. Respectfully, right? But honestly, with integrity. Here's how I feel today, God. God, here's where it's hard for me to trust. Here's where it's hard for me to believe. And Father, I pray that you hear uh, the prayers of your children honestly rising up in front of you. And God, we bring our honest emotions to you and pray, God, that you would change us. We turn our hearts your direction. We say that even though we can't see your footprints, that your way, God, we trust. Because we want to be with you no matter where that is. We believe that because of the cross. Because the, the way of the Father was through. It wasn't around the cross, but it was through. And you went through for us. You endured for us. The scriptures say divide, despising the shame. But now you are sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting for the day to see us again. So God, we live in a mode of repentance as we receive the reminder of this sacred gift this morning. Thank you.